Today's scripture reading is from the book of 1 Peter, chapter 5, verses 1 to 4. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. This is the word of the Lord. For the past couple of months, we have been looking at this little letter called 1 Peter. It's written by the Apostle Peter, and I've entitled this series, Fighting for Joy. The reason is that he wrote this letter to a group of suffering Christians. They were going through a time of persecution, and they had to really fight to find joy. They had to struggle to be holy and hopeful in a world filled with a lot of suffering and pain. And I think it's very timely that our congregation is in, kind of in a season of suffering as well, in several different ways. And so First Peter has spoken to us very loudly and clearly about fighting for joy while we suffer. I went to see a, a movie a couple of weeks ago called Shutter Island. I don't know if some of you might have seen that movie. It's a really good movie. Um, it's kind of strong movie. I don't know that I would recommend it to you, but uh, it was a good movie in a lot of ways. And one of the things about this movie that I liked was that it's kind of in that genre of Alfred Hitchcock type films where you're watching this movie and you cannot figure out what is going on here. Uh, the storyline is, is uh, rather obscure and uh, it takes you forever. You have to wait till the very end of the movie to really figure out what's going on and who is the good guy, who is the bad guy. I won't tell anymore in case you do happen to go. I won't spoil it for you. But I, as I was sitting there watching it, I thought, I thought to myself, now what is real here? What is real? What is imaginary? And then this thought occurred to me that that's a lot like life. Life is a lot like that sometimes. I suspect that there are people here today who are struggling, who are having a problem. And you can't figure out what's really going on. You're wondering what's real in this situation. And what is imaginary? Is this a spiritual problem that I'm having? Or am I just imagining things? Or is it some physical thing that is plaguing me? I don't know the plot line, you might be saying. I don't even know who's writing the story right now. I don't know how things are going to turn out. Does that describe you this morning? I suspect it does for quite a number of us. When we're in a time like this where things are happening and we can't quite get our arms around what's really at heart here, we might ask questions like, um, what am I going to do about this? How am I going to get out of this? How am I going to fix it? Um, why is it even happening in the first place? Why is God picking on me? Or maybe it's the devil, but why is it me that's at the crux of the issue? Is this ever going to change or will it even get worse? Have you ever been to that place? I think you have. You know what I'm talking about. And there are certainly people here today who are asking this question. Is there anything that is real that I can hang on to right now in my life? Or better yet, something real that can hang on to me because I don't know if I can hang on to anything. 
Is there something solid, something stable, unchanging, something dependable? Is there some foundational truth that will get me through this hour, this day, this week or month, this problem? This divorce, this hard time with my teenager, this issue that I'm having with my parents, this marriage that I'm stuck in, this job that I dread going to in the morning. What about you? What is it for you that you're having a hard time really being able to figure out where your next step is going to come? Most of you are Christians. You believe in God. You have received Jesus into your life and he's your savior. You have a worldview that's based on the Bible. But nevertheless, I know because I do that you go through times when you think, am I crazy for believing this stuff? Sometimes it doesn't seem to add up. I know God is out there, but then things happen that I don't understand. People that I love die. Earthquakes hit and destroy cities. The economy is a mess. My marriage is a mess. My parents are a mess. Why I'm a mess, you might say. So help me, God. Help me figure it out. Have you ever been there? Are you looking for something that's real today? Something that will hold on to you and not let you go? Well, for all the doubters out there, for all the strugglers, for all those who don't quite know what's happening... I want to give you, no, better yet, God wants to give you a reality today. He wants to give you a reality. And it's right here in this text. We're going to look at it. Are you ready? Here is the reality. The Lord is your shepherd. If you are a believer in Jesus, if you're following Christ, the Bible declares to you that the Lord is your shepherd. That is real. It's not going to go anywhere. It'll hold on to you no matter what. Peter calls Jesus in verse 4 the chief shepherd. Do you see that? Peter calls Jesus in verse 4 the chief shepherd. And you know, this isn't the first time Peter has called Jesus a shepherd in this letter. If you were here back in chapter 2 when we were back there, in chapter 2 verse 25... It says that you, that is speaking of you and me, were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. See, this theme of this metaphor of the shepherd must be one of Peter's favorites. Why? Well, one reason is that he was steeped in the Old Testament. And if you have read the Old Testament very much, you know that it's a frequent um, image that God's people are called sheep and God is called a shepherd. Let me show you a few examples of verses in the Old Testament that speak of sheep and shepherds. Here's one that you might know from Psalm 100. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Here's one from Isaiah 53. We all like sheep, see, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And another verse that Isaiah wrote is he tends his flock like a shepherd, speaking of God. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Not only did Peter know the Old Testament well, but Peter was also there that day. Do you remember when in John chapter 10, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I lay my my life down for the sheep. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. See, Peter was drinking all that in. He was there that day. And so when he thinks of Jesus, 
he thinks of Jesus being the chief shepherd. But of course, the most familiar Bible passage of all that speak of sheep and shepherds is one that I suspect many of you have heard so many times you could practically recite it yourself. It's the 23rd Psalm, right? Many of you know that already. Uh, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. We're going to look at Psalm 23 today. In fact, if you want to leave 1 Peter 5 behind and turn to Psalm 23, that's where we're going to be the rest of the time. And if you come back tonight at 6 o'clock for Matt's ordination service, we're going to look at the other aspect of 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 4. But right now, we're going to focus on Jesus being our shepherd. So look at Psalm 23, and we're going to meditate for a few minutes this morning on those opening words of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to highlight three of the words in that verse. First, the word shepherd, then the word my, and finally the word Lord. So that's our plan. Let's do it. The Lord is my shepherd. Let's focus on the word shepherd for a few moments. And I want to ask you to think about this for a moment, that the Lord is your shepherd. This great God that we've been worshiping this morning, the God of the universe, the creator, the infinite, eternal, and unchangeable one, the one who is called holy, holy, holy. We sang that hymn earlier this morning. The judge of the living and of the dead. The one before whom angels and the saints in glory are this moment falling down before him and worshiping and adoring him. That God dares to come to a sheep pen and call himself our shepherd. Don't just skate over that. Think about it. Shepherds were poor and dirty and low-class folk back in Bible days, but also in much, much, much of the world today. Shepherds stayed away from people, and people stayed away from shepherds. Shepherds smelled like animals. But Jesus, the King of glory, says to us in Psalm 23 and 1 Peter 5, when you think of me, think of a shepherd. That's amazing. How condescending for God to come to our level like that and say, when you think of me, think of a shepherd. And God could have called you and me, what? Creatures or servants or he could have even called us his underlings or something like that. He could have chosen to compare us to snails or donkeys, might have been more accurate, or dogs But instead, God lovingly calls us his sheep. In one other place of the Bible, he calls us his little flock. What a tender, kind, compassionate, gentle God we serve. So what does a shepherd do? Let's ask and answer that question. What does a shepherd do? Well, I can think of at least five things, and they're all right here in Psalm 23. First of all, a shepherd feeds his sheep. Psalm 23 says that he makes me lie down in green, what? Pastures. See, a shepherd feeds his sheep. Secondly, a a shepherd waters his sheep. He takes him to a place where he can take a drink. It says in Psalm 23 that he leads me beside quiet waters. Thirdly, a shepherd rests his sheep. 
And it says in Psalm 23 that he restores my soul. He gives us rest. Fourthly, a shepherd leads his sheep to the next uh, destination. And in Psalm 23, it says he guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He leads the sheep. And fifth and finally, a shepherd protects his sheep from harm. It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. See, a shepherd often had to take his flock through ravines and through gullies where there were danger and uncertainty and cliffs and wild animals. And that's why shepherds carried these two things, a rod to club predators and thieves with and a staff to keep the sheep together, to keep them on the right path and to keep them out of harm's way. In short, the Bible, right here in Psalm 23 and elsewhere, paints a picture of a shepherd constantly caring for these dumb sheep. They're never very far away from him, and he knows exactly what they need and how to get it. Food, water, rest, guidance, protection. All of the necessities of a sheep, lovingly provided by the ever-watchful, ever-vigilant, never-sleeping shepherd. And of course, you know where this is going. Because the Bible is not just talking about human shepherds here. He wants us to take away from that a higher spiritual reality. To understand something about the God we love and serve. Jesus, our chief shepherd, does these five things for you if you're his lamb. He feeds you upon the green pastures of his word. He gives us to drink of the living water of his spirit. He sees when we're exhausted and he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you what? Rest. He goes before us, leading the way, not behind us, pushing us and driving us, but having us follow him. He says in John 10, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. He goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow because they know his voice. He's talking about leading us. And fifth and finally, Jesus, our chief shepherd, protects us. With his rod, he protects us from our enemy, the devil. And with his staff, he protects us from ourselves through loving discipline. So that even in times of deepest distress, we need not fear. We can live confidently because we know Jesus is close at hand, watching over us, keeping us, and protecting us. See, people, this is reality. If you've come here today seeking something real, something not imaginary, but something that will hang on to you and not let you go when you're going through times of suffering, this is it. The Lord is your shepherd. He is your shepherd. I wonder which of these five things did you come today needing the most? I suspect you could pick one at least, if not all five. Would you hang on to that? Would you ask Jesus, your shepherd, for that thing? Jesus, I really need guidance right now. I'm facing a big decision. Guide me, shepherd. Jesus, I really need food. I've neglected your word. Sometimes I don't understand it. Please teach me truth. Or Jesus, I need protection. I'm under attack. I don't know where it's coming from or why, but I'm being attacked. Jesus, be my shepherd. 
See how practical that is? So apply one or more of those today. First, the Lord is your shepherd. Second, the psalm says the Lord is my shepherd. Let's focus on that word my. It's extremely important. Because notice the Bible doesn't say the Lord is a shepherd or the Lord is the shepherd. It doesn't even say the Lord is our shepherd. No, David in Psalm 23 uses the first person pronoun and says the Lord is my shepherd. That means the Lord is your individually shepherd. If you're his child this morning. 17 times in this psalm I counted the use of the personal first person pronoun. David wants to make a very important point here. Let me read a few verses. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness. See how important it is to read the Bible that way? To notice to whom God is speaking? He's speaking to you individually today. And now look at verses 5 and 6. The end of Psalm 23 Where David says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. You get the point, I'm sure. God is so personal with us. Martin Luther said that Christianity is the religion of personal pronouns. Jesus told a story one time about a lost sheep. You can find it in Luke 15. He said there was a shepherd one time who had a hundred sheep and he counted them up at the end of the day and he was missing one. There were only 99. And so Jesus in the story said that the shepherd left the 99 in the open field and went out into the wilderness to find that one lost sheep. And Jesus said that when he found him, he put it on his shoulders and went home, called his friends and neighbors together and said, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. See, if you're a follower of Christ today, that lost sheep was you. It was you. Jesus went out after you. He called your name personally. He didn't rest until he found you. And when he found you, he was so glad. He picked you up out of your sin and misery and brought you home to the Father where you belonged. He did that for you individually. Do you need a reality today? Do you need something you can hang on to that won't let you go? This is it. The Lord is your shepherd. Say it with me out loud. The Lord is my shepherd. One more time. The Lord is my shepherd. Do you believe that? Say that often to yourself. The Lord is my shepherd. Finally, think about this with me. Not only is the Lord our shepherd, not only is he my shepherd, your shepherd, But let's talk about that word Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. I want you to notice something that maybe nobody's ever told you before. That in our English versions, we're reading English translations of Hebrew words. And you'll often see the word Lord in all caps. You see that in that verse? Psalm 23, 1. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. There's a reason for that. It's not just that the psalmist wants to say, to say the Lord, you know, real loud. It's a Hebrew word 
that is being translated as Lord. And that word is Yahweh. Yahweh. And often you'll see the word Lord with capital L, little o, little r, little d. That's a different Hebrew word. It's the Hebrew name for God, Adonai. It's also translated Lord. So the, the translators figured you need some help to figure out that one is Hebrew Yahweh, one is Hebrew Adonai, because they're two different names for God. They both mean Lord, but Yahweh is the covenant name of God. What is a covenant? A covenant is a solemn binding agreement between two or more parties. Now, back in Old Testament times, when two or more parties decided to make a covenant with each other about something, a piece of land they wanted to buy, a a transaction of some sort, an agreement that they came to or whatnot, a treaty perhaps, when two parties made a covenant, what they would often do is take some animals and cut them in half and put them out on... I know this sounds so bizarre in our culture, but it wasn't bizarre then. They would take these animals and cut them in pieces and put the pieces out on the ground so that it was a bloody mess. And then the various people, the two people or more parties who were in this covenant, would walk among the pieces of dead animals lying on the ground. Their sandals would get bloody... They would see the blood. It would be a significant experience for them. I remember when I was a kid, my friend Tommy and I went out in the woods and we wanted to be best friends forever. And so we made a covenant with each other. We sliced open our finger and we put our blood on a piece of paper. And about a week later, we'd totally forgotten that treaty. (laughs) But we, we had a sense that we wanted to do something ceremonial to seal our commitment to each other. And when in Old Testament times, two people wanted to seal their commitment to each other, they would kill animals and walk among the pieces together. And what they were doing and saying to each other when they walked among those dead animal pieces is they were saying to each other, friend, if I break this covenant that we've made, you can kill me. Just like these animals. You can do to me what we've done to these animals. The blood of the animals was a seal that I deserve to die if I break my vow and my promise to you. So now, let's get to Psalm 23. The Lord, L-O-R-D, Yahweh, covenant name of God. God is making a covenant as your shepherd. Let me open up a little more light on this so that you get the significance of this. It was called cutting a covenant when these people did this, this to the animals. Cutting a covenant. In Genesis 15, you don't have to turn there, I'll just tell you the story. God cut a covenant with his friend Abraham. Now in Genesis 15, Abraham was very discouraged. He was quite puzzled and confused. He wanted a reality because he didn't know what was happening in his life. He didn't know where his life was headed. He was very discouraged and very despondent. And here's why. God had promised to Abraham that he was going to give him children. He promised Abraham that he was going to make him into a great nation. But when Abraham looked at his wife, Sarah, and saw how old they were, he didn't have any children. He was very discouraged. He was lamenting this to God and said to God, Lord, I don't get it. This isn't working out like it was supposed to. Because years had passed and Abraham and Sarah hadn't had any children. In fact, it seemed like things only got worse. Because here were Abraham and Sarah living in the dry, barren hills of Canaan, while Abraham's nephew Lot was living in the fertile, well-watered towns of Sodom and Gomorrah. So you can understand why Abraham was so discouraged with this situation. 
So one night Abraham said to the Lord, God, you've got to do something. I'm discouraged. I am blue. This story makes no sense. You've given me no children, God. The one who is going to inherit my estate is not my child. He's my servant, Eleazar. This isn't right, Lord. God listened to Abraham in Genesis 15. And he gave Abraham an answer. He promised him that he and Sarah would indeed have children. In fact, God said to Abraham, look up in the night sky and you'll see stars more than you can possibly count. That is how many descendants you're going to have, Abraham. I promise you, I'm not going to be bad on that promise. I'm not going to let you down. But Abraham said back to God, sovereign Lord, how can this be? You've got to show me some proof. Give me a sign. Give me something real. Give me something I can hang on to. In fact, something that will hang on to me. Something sure. Something solid. Something foundational in my life. Because I don't know what's happening here. So God said, okay. Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram. And God said, slice those animals in two and lay the pieces out on the ground. Abraham got those animals. He cut them in two. And then he put them on the ground. It was a bloody mess. And then it says in Genesis 15 that Abraham fell into a deep sleep. And in his sleep, he had a vision of God. He saw in his vision a smoking fire pot with a burning torch walking among the pieces of the dead animals that Abraham had laid out on the ground. And Abraham knew that was God. It was God walking among the pieces, cutting a covenant with him, only with this big difference. In a human covenant, all of the parties walk among the animals. But in God's covenant with Abraham and God's covenant with you, only only God walks among the pieces of dead animals. As if to say, Abraham, it's all up to me, God speaking. It's my job, Abraham. You just believe. You just put faith in me. I'll take care of it. God took a self-maledictory oath with Abraham that night. In which he said to Abraham, if I fail to keep my promise, Abraham, to you, kill me. Take me out. I don't deserve to live. That's how solemn and binding this covenant promise was to Abraham. Friend, do you need something real today? Do you need something that's going to hang on to you no matter what? The Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Yahweh, the covenant name of God, allowed his own son, Jesus Christ, to be killed on the cross. God was cutting a covenant with you through Calvary. It's ironic, isn't it, that the shepherd we've been talking about became the sacrificial lamb. The blood of Jesus was God's way of saying to you, if I fail you, if I fail to love you, to make good on my promise, to forgive you, to fulfill my purposes in your life, then you might as well kill me. Take me out, God says. If I am not true to my word to you, my promise to you, my covenant, I don't deserve to be your God at all. See, God's covenant love is real. It's solid, it's sure, it's dependable. So when you read Psalm 23 and it says, The Lord is my shepherd, it is saying to you that the God of the covenant is your shepherd. God is saying to you, look at me, sheep. Come on, look at me. I gave my son for you. I promise I will not abandon you. I promise that I'm writing a wonderful story in your life and it's not going to come to a to a fateful end. It's going to reach its completion. I promise to watch over you and defend you and help you. I'll get you home 
safely and with joy. So trust me. Follow me. See, we need our shepherd to tell us that. Because you know what? Some of us are fighting our shepherd right now. We're not cooperating. We're not trusting and believing him. We're, we're, we're going to go at it our way. We're going to fix it. We're going to take care of ourselves. And God is saying, no, don't do that. Follow me and let me be your shepherd. You may not know exactly what's going on right now. So just follow me. Lean on me. I'm the reality that you're looking for. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you're our chief shepherd. Thank you so much that you feed us, you water us, you give us rest and guidance and protection. Thank you that you don't leave us in the heat of battle. Thank you that when we don't know what's going on, you do. You're sovereign. You're the strong ruler of the world. And so, Lord, we pray that you'll teach us to trust you. And today we come to the table where you are reaffirming your covenant with us. You're reminding us that you've cut an everlasting covenant on the cross of Calvary. Where the blood of Jesus is an eternal testimony to your faithfulness. Thank you that you went that far to tell us how much you love us. Thank you that Jesus, you laid your life down for the sheep. And so we pray now for this meal that we're about to have. We pray for the elements to be set apart, for the special use of being means of grace, signs and seals of the covenant of love. We ask, Lord, that we might be mindful that we're now about to commune with you spiritually. Though these elements are not your literal body and your literal blood, they are symbolic of them and they are signs and seals that you're present with us in this meal. You're really here today. And so may we commune with you and fellowship with you as well as fellowship with one another. Lord, we confess that we've not trusted you fully. We, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned every one of us to our own way. Some of us did that this morning. And so we ask you to forgive us and receive us today as your dearly loved children, your sheep, the sheep of your pasture. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.